This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, you guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Temple of Hoop. I am your host, Coach Mabels, a.k.a. Jay Mabes. I'm here with my co-host, as always, Kings. Kings, what's going on with you, man? As always, living good, feeling good, you already know. Can't be mad. I know you uh, <laughs> unanimous got that work tonight, so it was uh, it's, it's <laughs> easy record. <laughs> man, they, they set the timeline on fire. He's su- he subbing Braun in the media, and now his fans turning on KD fans right now. Oh, it's so. wild right now. <laughs> This week we have a special guest. He is a returner. He appeared last year for me when we when I first started this thing, started this thing as a solo act. Uh, we got Joseph Gill from Merck Analytics. Joe, what's going on, man? Thank you for coming in. Appreciate you. Oh, nothing much. I'm sorry about my Wi-Fi, man. It's chopping like crazy right now, but I'm I'm so happy to be here. I mean, my Wi-Fi is literally just going through, you know, the waves right now. It's it's, it's something that gets turning to. Um, you know, just happy to be back, man. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the discussion, man. I mean, you and I, we we love. Ch- Chopping it up on on, uh, on Twitter and the DMs and loved being on the first time and you know hopefully I can't you know not put a foot in my mouth again and uh, contribute to the conversation. Nah, no, nah, we this is actually we've been actually waiting for the perfect moment to bring Joseph back. First of all, before we get going, we'll talk about what Joseph does. He actually works in analytics, heads on analytics uh, kind of company, work with training and help actually players become better versions of themselves. So Joseph, tell us a little about what you do with analytics at your at your firm here. Yeah, so I mean, I, I do a little bit of everything um, as far as like my skill set. You know, the, analytics is a pretty diverse field at this point. You know, you got a, a right. lot of guys with a lot of different strengths doing a lot of different things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my strength is that like you know I was mathematically inclined, but I played basketball. I was I was decent. I was not good by any stretch of the imagination. Um, after that kind of bombed out on me, um, I started just kind of you know poking around and. Um, I kind of fell into this, uh, this niche of, you know, working directly with players, um, you know, and then through that, I started working with some agencies, started working for some, you know, some college teams and that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, kind of what I do is, you know, like a new client um, comes on, just analyze everything that there is to analyze about their game, mostly offensively, obviously, it's where you make the money. Um, and then, you know, for my fully vested guys, you know, they're even getting like game by game scouting reports from their opponents. So, um, you know, I'm, I, I love what I do, but at the same time, like, man, dude, I wish we had an off season this year. Would have been, <laughs> would have been nice, man. <laughs> you got 72 days. You oh man, dude. This, this discussion began, it's perfect to segue to bring Joseph in. Discussion began, uh, Master Tez of Bleacher Report released a video. First of all, let's go back before that. So Anthony, Anthony Edwards, first pick of the draft, pretty much had the dunk of the season uh, mm-hmm. this year. Baptized uh, Toronto Raptors player. Yudawan Nabe, my guy. Literally 
two minutes after the dunk, you had uh, <laughs> it was Nate Duncan and somebody else, and a guy basically he re quote tweeted the dunk and said, "Yeah, this is cool, but he's also over seven from three, three for fourteen, blah blah blah," and that unleashed the holy war once again of analytics versus the eye test. <laughs> so, so endless war, right? So Master Tess put a video out basically saying nerds are ruining the game, using analytics to tear down legends. Um, the video for me, I got the point. I didn't like the use of the word nerd. Um, and I also didn't understand. It's like, I don't know about ruining the game. I think they add an element to it. I think it's more so how it's presented to people. Um, King, I'm going to let you cap in here. What did you think about the whole Anthony Edwards situation and the video that Master Tess put out from Bleacher Report? Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the video, you know, I was looking at the, the post with Anthony Edwards. Uh, I feel like it wasn't, I'm not sure if that was more of it. When when the guys, when Nate Duncan said that, I'm not sure if it was really him using analytics. I just think he was being a get-off-my-lawn type of dude. <laughs> at the time, like, he was just really mad that we were praising Edwards for that, you know, for that nice highlight reel, and I just feel like he tried to find something to hate on. You know, the going to the Bleacher Report video, uh, I think it, it's it's been a tough it's been a tough thing to find the balance between uh, analytics and eye test. Um, analytics is how I got um, I started deep diving more into hoop. I mean, I was always into hoop. I was watching every regular season game back when right. I was hooping in high school and all that. But um, analytics started to help, help me, and I think this was like 2014, 2015 during the Curry MVP first MVP year when I was like, no, I think Harden should win MVP. But then, like, I started actually analyzing analytics, and I was like, oh, this is why, you know, Curry has this case. And I started putting it together with the tape. And ever since then, it's like it's helped me in my analysis of the game, trying to match different things. So I'm always of the mindset that analytics is good. I always use analytics, especially being a Brown guy and having the endless Brown Kobe debates up until 2016. <laughs> right. But after that, I vowed I would never debate that again. On my personal end, I never debated Braun and Kobe after 2016 in that finals. But uh, I just noticed a trend in the recent years. It just got too out of hand with just blindly citing analytics. Right. Uh, it, right. It, became a, yeah, it just became a problem where people were ignoring the schemes. They were ignoring the, uh, you know, the, the roles of players like the player roles, like one of the most common ones, and I'll use the Lakers as an example. People were saying, oh, we don't need Dennis Schroeder. We got Caruso. Caruso's just fine in the beginning of the year, right, where there's AD and there's Dennis starting and Caruso was playing his role as an energy guy. You know, fast forward to AD missing games, uh, then Dennis goes down. You really started to see what Caruso was as a player. He's a good player in his role, you know what I mean? He's a great player, but those analytics were – deceiving you if you were to thinking he could actually be a guy that you could lean on, you know, when other guys are down. Because if you actually watch the film and if you actually look at him in practice, like I'm sure Vogel does, which is why, you know, we were complaining that Caruso needed more minutes, but Vogel looking at this guy in practice and you actually see the tape, you start to realize that, oh, he's not a guy who you can just throw in there 30 minutes and have him just guard whoever. He's a guy who needs to play off certain dudes, playing a certain role with specific assignments for him to thrive and to have that impact on the analytics that you see when you see him in these high net rating lineups. Right. Now, these are things right. that's missed in the analytics discussion because it's either somebody is like blindly 
signing analytics or it's either somebody who's just like, oh, this guy can do, you know, a tween and a hezzy, so he's automatically nice. You know, it's, it's always one of those two. It's never, it's never just uh, somebody trying to find harmony between the two. Because at the end of the day, the analytics is supposed to complement what we're watching. Right, it's supplementary, exactly. Point. Yeah, supplementary. So that's the whole yeah. point of data. You know, as a scientist, that's what you do with data. You know, as a scientist, I do science with biomedical science and biology, chemistry. The The measurements are supposed to match what you observe in the natural world. So with mm. basketball, the analytics is supposed to match what you observe by watching the game. Like, right. It's before, supposed before, to be yeah. something. Before I turn it over to Joe, Joe, I just want to say that we're not here to just bash analytics. Like, there's another side to this. There's two sides of each spectrum. There's also that crowd who says, well, I played, you didn't play, so you don't need to be talking about yeah. basketball. So there's obviously, like, it's, it's, we don't want to bash with everything. We understand that some of the worst decision makers in basketball history were the best players. The uh, players. Michael Jordan up until a few years ago, <laughs> like, did not know what he was doing. I think he kind of lucked into LaMelo. That's all a different discussion. But, you know, just – as an example, so we're not bashing, you know, just the whole analytics side of it. There are two sides of it that kind of overdo things. So, Joseph, just what were your thoughts on that entire situation? No, I mean, like, honestly, I, I'd like to leave off what you said first. Is I mean, like, I, I didn't think that you guys were bashing and like okay. Kings or, or Jason. I mean, I've had interactions, more interactions with Jason than Kings, but you know, I, I don't think I've ever had a bad inter- interaction with you guys setting analytics, discussing analytics, anything like that. Um, you know, Kings brings up a great point, you know, right? Like, it's it's not supposed to be the end-all, be-all. Um, I would go as far to say that, like, man, dude, you would lose a lot just from, like, the life of, of, of being a person who loves basketball, be it a fan, a player, a coach. Mm-hmm. You would lose a lot um, if analytics was the end-all, be-all. Um, you know, th- there's, th- there's a lot of old-school computer games you can play if you like watching the numbers flash, man. You know, like, that's – go do that. Um, you know, but that being said, you know, I, in my line of work, um, the analytics is not, you know, supplemental. This is going to sound like, you know, nitpicky, but at the same time, like, it's important, you know, because, like, it's not so much supplemental to me. It's more like the tracks, and then I try to make the eye test fit within those tracks, right? And wow. that's not always a perfect fit, you know? And in that situation, when they're at odds with each other, that's when you really have to decide, you know, what is the day? You know, what do I believe? Do I believe the eyes? Do I believe the data? Um, you know, more often than not, the place that I come from, you know, when I run into stuff like that, it's like, well, you know, I'm going to believe the data until the data, you know, goes in a different direction um and you know at a certain point if the data is such a large sample size that's unignorable i just kind of have to shrug and be like wow man this is this is abnormal this is fun this is what makes basketball fresh um you know a great example of that was uh, steph curry you know for a long time it was kind of viewed as a sin to take a three-pointer off the dribble in the nba game you know <laughs> like like yeah. I, I, I remember th- there was a graph that i saw you know in the middle of the the 14 15 season that was like you know points per possession of every single player the last 20 years taking a three-pointer off the dribble and it was just this whole blob of, of dudes taking, you know, by the numbers, um, inefficient shots, right? Uh, shots that were less efficient than the league average efficiency. And then all of a sudden you got this just dot, like, in literally right field. That's like Steph Curry. You know, it's like uh, 10% more efficient than the average shot. And I, I, told, I told my friends, like, there's no way. You know, our aggression's coming. Just wait, just wait. Wait, just wait. And I, I was pretty confident, you know, and then he wins, you know, 67 games. And I'm less confident than he wins 73 the next year. And, and now now I'm one of the biggest Steph Curry guys there is because you know, he, he was a rule breaker, right? And it's kind of that thing. You know, I, I always think about in these situations, there's a, um, th- there's a theorem. Uh, it's called Godhart's Law. And it says when a measure becomes a target, it's, it 
uh, it stops being a good measure. And basically, you know, oh, how I always, yeah. yeah, right. And, you know, and it's been proven time and time again, you know, and I see it in my line of work too, where, you know, why do I love points per possession? Anyone who follows me on Twitter, anyone who's probably ever talked to me, you know, knows that points per possession PP is, is my, it's my go-to, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's my pistol at my hip, you know, it's, it's my everything as far as analytics goes, not in my everything, but close to it. And the reason why I love it is because, you know, there, there's so many stats that I can cite for it where, and I, I whenever I, I have a new client or someone that I'm interested in potentially moving as a client, I love telling them, like, this is why I love the statistic. And it's, it's very simple. One, it's highly correlated. The guys who have the highest PPP in any league um, get paid the most when they become a free agent. You know, if, if you uh-huh. scored a high PPP the year before you become a free agent, you get paid more, you know, that right there, that's a pretty good motivator. And then for the other guys, and I, you know, motivated explicitly, you know, just by that exclusively by that, I say, you know, if you win the 80, if you win the PPP battle, not taking into account offensive rebounding or the, you know, the, the effects of rebounding, you win 89% of the time. And if you win, your team wins it in a given game by 0.05 points per possession. So one point every 20 plays, um, you win 97% of the time. You know, that right there, like, you know, those are numbers that it's going to be hard, you know, to manipulate those numbers as far as like, you know, a, a team situation or contract situation. But, you know, just wait. In a couple decades, we're going to be seeing it because, you know, what is my job, right? I manipulate PPP. So, you know, it, it, it's tough, right? You know, you got all these these people coming from all this this different, you know, all these different these realms. And, you know, it, I, I think that it all really falls under the umbrella of like, nuance is definitely needed. You know, there's a place yes. for analytics. Yes. There's a place for eye test. There's a place for experience. And, you know, I, I, I feel like I can say that as someone who has just enough experience, you know, the value of it, but so little experience with my 17 college points in my three college games of Division three school in Minnesota played that I can point to someone like a Rashad Phillips, 2,300 points, 5'9", five, 5'10 nine, uh, five, nine, five, point guard at a Division one school and be like, I would be out of bounds if I'm looking at numbers and I say, I know more than Rashad, and this is a blanket I can throw over him at any time. We might disagree. I might be wrong sometimes. He might be wrong sometimes. We might both be wrong sometimes. But I would be out of my absolute daffy duck mind if I thought to myself for a moment that there is something that I can teach absolutely everyone at any point because of numbers, especially if in the free market of basketball, I was worse at the game than they were. That is insanity, man. Right. Like, <laughs> That, that's that's a great that's hard to follow that up. That's, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of people don't see it that way. And just if I can kind of tell my story with analytics, like Kings did, um, my pushback on analytics came when they started using them to go back in history and tear down legends. Oh man! Without <laughs> without considering context, particularly because I'll tell you, Allen Iverson, Kings, Allen Iverson is my favorite NBA player in in history. Yep. So when they used analytics to go back and tell me, you know, what he wasn't good at without considering that he was spent 35 minutes of a game on the floor with Tyrone Hill and Eric Snow and, and Jumaine Jones and the Kimbe Mutombo um, and not even three ND guys, literally two ND guys. It's, it's just, <laughs> right? So with that amount of space, with lack of spacing for him, you know, he only shot 41%. And you go back and you try to juxtapose that with what's going on now and try to diminish him as a scorer. Like I said, when when I put that tweet up about analytics lacking context, turning me off, that was more of the stuff I'm speaking of because, you know, I don't care what you say. You put a guy like Allen Iverson in today's league, today's rules, today's principles, no hand checking, four out, high pick and roll, get downhill, make the Mm -hmm. right decision. He's going to be a top 
five, top six player minimum, in my opinion. So that's where a lot of my pushback with analytics comes from. So just just to kind of piggyback what you were saying, the, the bothersome thing for me is when it goes back and diminishes legends of the game who played in maybe less fortunate, you know, or or more archaic style of basketball than what we see today. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Man, dude, do you mind if I take the football from me from just a second? Because, like, ahead, I, that, that is – Dude, and that, that is one of my biggest pet peeves because, you know, I at, at one point in the past year, I think I talked to you about uh, about this, Jason. I was uh, working for a startup, and my role in the startup was I, I had a few things going on, you know, in the day-to-day, uh, meetings, pitches, you know, some work on the side. But my big role was they wanted me to develop a lecture series in analytics and make it, you know, a practical-style analytics for someone who doesn't have, you know, the mathematical background or the mathematical want to, the mathematical brain, if you will, whatever you want, however you want to think of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, someone who's just a coach, just a fan, just a player, just a parent, whatever it may be, can watch something and kind of feel like I understand it now. These are these are tools that I now have in my toolbox. I don't have to, you know, try to build a house with a screwdriver, but if I come across any screws, I'm pretty good. You know, something like that. And right. you know, and it, it made me even think about, you know, my, and I've been doing this now for uh I feel old. I've been doing this now for six years. Um and uh and, and you know it, it made me think about, you know, just kind of analytics as a whole. And I was like, I can't write this lecture series unless I have the firmest understanding of where basketball statistics come from. Right. And the fallacies that may have just been baked in with basketball statistics over time. Right. And basketball statistics are basically grafted from baseball statistics, right? The box score was take, was developed for baseball. Basketball comes in in the 1940s, all that stuff. Right. But box scores became the basis for, for basketball and no one's really questioned it much. Right. And there's kind of no reason to, because like the one, the one great thing about the box score, it's a great narrative, you know, you got (laughs) points, you got rebounds, you got, you're like, Oh, I kind of get it. You know, like you're you're not, you're not going to be able to tell, you know, exactly how this guy played. You got a good idea of like the actions that happened, you know, that he was a part of. Right. Um, at least most or more so offensively than defensively. The thing that's so interesting about that is there's two things that are so interesting to me about this that no one ever talks about. One, when the baseball box score was developed, it went through, literally decades of iterations where they could not figure it out. And if you think about baseball versus basketball, one is a lot more complicated than the other. You know, there are four spots that you can stand on, on a baseball field when you're on offense, there are nine positions. And when somebody moves 20 feet to the left, the right, the back or, or in front, it is a national news story sometimes, right? That, that is about as static as a, as a game you can get to It's station to station. It took them decades. And it was, it was an earlier time where sports were less important, you know? And, and the thing is so interesting, interesting about that too is that they finally landed on the box score 
because they felt like it was a good representation of the game because back when baseball was starting to become in its heyday, there was no mass media. A mass media was an almanac, and people would literally buy these almanacs in the mail. They would sit down at a table in, in their candlelit farmhouse, and they would just page through box scores, reliving these games they never saw, right? Wow. That is insane that we that we do a similar style thing for basketball in a digital age and we just kind of expect it's going to be fine another thing that's absolutely insane about this is that the baseball rules have not changed in 130 some years right and here's another one how do you win the game of basketball it's very similar to how you win the game of baseball right you score more points than their team and baseball it's runs and basketball it's points the thing that differs is in baseball every person has the same freaking job hit the ball right, right, right. you wait your turn to hit the ball and then you run to the same spots and that's how you score there are no like it is almost insane that we think of like baseball as roles right like these guys stand in different spots and do the same thing then they're in a different order and they do the same thing that is not the case in basketball you know it's like it's almost this insane idea that we can even never mind the fact that rules are constantly changing in basketball right never mind the fact that the technology of basketball is changing every couple five six years i mean think about the shoes they used to play in the floor they used to play on Exactly. The backboards used to play with the shot clock, right? The three-point line. That does not exist in baseball. At the very core, how can you start comparing legends? I mean, dude, when Hank Aaron walked up to the plate, him and Babe Ruth were trying to do the same thing, you know? When Bill Russell stepped onto the court, him and Allen Iverson are not trying to do the same thing <laughs> at all, man. Right, right, how right. are you going to use the same numbers to compare them? Sorry, I, I, I feel like I'm just going to start ranting. I know you guys are on my side. Like, this this blows my mind. This needs to be stated. <laughs> like, dude, analytics is supposed to be telling people about this, man. Like, why are we arguing about BS when there's, like, like we're, we're just grafting baseball stuff, and then we're wondering why it doesn't fit, you know? Yeah, that was my – and that was my – that was just basically my, my primary pushback about analytics, again, more so the application. And, like, what I want to talk to you about now just – branching off a little bit about, you know, analytics and how they're applied on the defensive side because somebody who's been, been, you know, (laughs) only only paying super much analytics. Yeah, yeah, for the last last three to four years, in my opinion, defensive analytics stink. The the matchup tracking data (laughs) is broken. You told me yourself on NBA.com, they can't even get it right on the the flagship website. They can't even track it correctly. what I saw today with what I want you to, to kind of chime in on is you were, you weren't part of the argument, but you came in and gave her two cents. So I saw a jazz fan and a Philly fan, uh, two guys I follow. They don't follow each other. They don't get along. <laughs> Twitter <laughs> in a nutshell. So um, one of the guys was trying to show go bears growth as a switch defender. And the other guy was like, you got to be kidding me. You know that Gobert is not going to be out there switching in a playoff situation. He's been playing off the floor before, which is true. There's film of that, him being played off the floor because he's not great at switching. Um, the guy posted some some stats that showed Gobert had actually uh, improved in the area or was quote unquote elite at it. Um, the rebuttal that I saw that was mine was like, how much of that is Quinn Snyder? seeing who he's going against and saying, okay, we can switch on this guy. We can't switch on that guy. Cause mm-hmm. I doubt if he's saying, okay, this is De'Aaron Fox or John Morant, Rudy, get out there and contain him on pick and roll. Right. It's, it's the correct matchup. So I think the numbers, the, and the numbers don't show that. They just say, oh, he's done really good in switching this year. So he's a right. elite switch defender. And I don't think that's necessarily 
accurate kings. Go ahead, bro. Yes, the defense analytics is just man. They need a lot of work. Um, I want to say the main reason why a lot of defensive analytics are not good, uh, outside of like you know, plus minus uh, being one of the better ones, um, but a lot of the reason why they're not good is that a lot of them incorporate defensive rebounding, right? Yeah, as a yep. key factor. Mm-hmm. And for me, I look at that as that's just very offensive oriented. Because in that scenario, you're basically saying because someone got a defensive rebound and gave you another offensive possession, that's more valuable than the person who forced a bad shot to be mm, Exactly. So you could have done nothing the whole series. Like, you could have done nothing. <laughs> like, you know, Dennis Schroeder could have been busting his tail off, fought through three screens, went on Steph Curry for a terrible shot. But because Gasol got the rebound, that's great defense for Gasol. Right. So, and go ahead, Joe. Just you, you, what, what are your thoughts on this, you know, kind of what we just said and you kind of working in the field, the, the defensive analytics side of it? Well, you know, I know, like, my head is swarming with thoughts because, I mean, first of all, Kings crushed it, hit it out of the park. <laughs> I mean, I always tell people, you know, what, what's the most important aspect of a defensive rebound? It signifies that a shot was missed, right? That's the value of the statistic. Um, you know, in, in a league, like, dude, you know, back 60 years ago when, like, they were giants battling in the paint, you know, wearing elbow guards that looked like freaking oven mitts, um, a defensive rebound, that's a pretty valuable thing, right? You got punched right. in the face for those sometimes. In the yep. league, you know, nowadays, and, of course, you got, you know, high school ball trailing behind, you, got, you know, you got college ball trailing behind. Um, last I checked, I believe it was 80% of defensive rebounds are uncontested, right? <laughs> what is Damn. the value of an uncontested rebound? See? Right, like what? 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 Like that, that's an honest. It's it's almost like it's like a riddle. What is the value of, of an uncontested rebound? Like it preserves the, the only thing I've ever come up with is that it preserves the slim chance of a transition opportunity because if the rebound's uncontested, they're probably back. You know, like like it, just let the ball roll out of bounds. You know, like it's it's almost like that. But you know, so that's that that, that Kings hit the nail on the head. You know, and like what I do, you know, I, I'm not so much in the single number metrics. Um, there are people who are doing really incredible work. You know, it's it's actually funny. Um, this gentleman Taylor. Nar, I believe his name is. I was just raving about Mike Connolly's pick and roll defense. And I was like, who's been talking about this? Who's been talking about this? And I check his website today, you know, blind. I realized his, his metric has Connolly rated number one uh, among point guards defensively. Um, but, you know, go, going back to, um, to, 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 you know, the situation you brought up, Jason. Um, so I, I entered into that discussion because I actually just recently did a scout for the Jazz, uh, you know, for the Jazz, meaning a client was playing against the Jazz. Um, this guy was a ball handler. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's someone who, who needs to know, you know, all the pick and roll coverages, that sort of stuff. Um, I, you know, as, as, as someone who does these scouts, you know, game by game, one of the things I really want to look into, you know, is exactly how are the pick and roll coverages, you know, like, is there a default coverage that every single time, you know, these players are doing this or is it more variable? And then, you know, for either one of those, you know, what are the most important things for my client to know? What are the exploitable aspects of, um, you know, of this pick and roll, right? Um, so, when, when I when I watched that film, I noticed that Gobert was switching on a little bit more often than he has been. But at the same time, I realized very quickly that he's stepping out to a point, right? And, you know, he's contained the edge better than I think he has been in years past. But there was one thing that became very apparent to me, and that's 
you know, when he's stepping out on an island, the Jazz are kind of basically being like, screw the coverage that we came up with, be it a switch. You know, uh, you know, they, they love to switch, you know, onto poppers when, uh, when it's Gobert and, uh, and they just have the guard basically bear hug, you know, the, the popper and then, you know, just hope that the, the ball handler continues attacking downhill and doesn't step back three feet behind the arc, right? So that to me, kind of led me to this rabbit hole of like, you know, first of all, another thing that's so interesting with basketball too, is that like, if you think about it, the offense really gets to dictate what happens. The defense gets to dictate the matchups, but the offense gets to dictate who they attack and how, right? I kind of had a theory that's like, I bet that there are guys who would not otherwise be attacking isolation, you know, looking for isolation opportunities who are getting the green light from their coaches to attack right. Gobert, right? right? And so it's kind of one of those puzzles of like, you know, how much of this number is Gobert's improvement? How much of this number is the fact that you got guys like Pat Connaughton? I love Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton has one isolation possession so far this year. You know who it was against? <laughs> who? Rudy Gobert. And I know this because <laughs> I went through – yeah, I, I, and, I, and I like Nathan. Nathan's my guy. I, I want it, I'm like, you know, whenever he gets into one of those things, I'm kind of watching over. I'm like, ah, you know, I might be able to, to help out for a moment here. <laughs> Him and I see a lot of the same stuff. Um, and so what I did was, just for my own edification, I, I, I took all the tracked possessions. You know, the guy was quoting Second Spectrum, which is automated. I use Synergy as kind of my backbone, which is more, you know, it's not as automated. You know, like they, they've got the video clips, and then, you know, someone goes through and transcribes them, you know, uh, connects the dots, if you will, and then it just it, it shows up neatly for people like you, like me, Jason, Kings. And I, I'm not sure if you ever use Synergy, um, but, you know, whoever, whoever uses it. And so I took all the possessions that were tracked against Gobert in isolation, meaning Gobert was the primary defender. Um, a shot was taken, a turnover happened, or, you know, a foul was committed that led to free throws. And then the thing that's so nice is that, you know, so we have on those possessions how many points were scored, right? PPP, my favorite statistic, you know, 89, 97, that one. Um, you know, for anyone listening who's playing right now, get paid, that, that statistic. Um, what's also nice, though, is that, you know, so we have that number for Gobert, but also – we can see for the offensive players what they're doing in isolation against everybody this year, right? And so I was like, that's probably a more important part of this equation than Rudy Gobert's raw number because in the playoffs, Pat Conte is not isolating on Rudy Gobert. If, if that's what's happening, I'm sorry, buds. I hope you enjoyed Milwaukee. It's probably not going to be a thing next year. <laughs> um, and, and, and what I found was, you know, over 40 possessions, and this guy was quoting like, oh, he's, you know, got the six most possessions in isolation this year. He's got the best PPP among those six. You know, in the 40 possessions that were on Synergy, um, Gobert only, quote, saved against the expected PPP two points. And 0.05, you know, over the course of an entire game, that's a significant amount as noted previously, right? Over the course of an entire season, that's quite a bit. Over the course of 40 possessions in a play type for a player who is being attacked by people like, you know, who are not going to be isolating, that's pretty negligible. And so, you know, like when, when I'm going through and I'm making these scouting reports, I, I like using these numbers. I, I, I prefer more the rates of how often defenders are doing things, right, than the actual efficiencies. And yeah, then the efficiencies that's, that's, are... That's, that's, what I, that, that's what I was interested in. Yeah, okay. That's what I was interested yeah. in. Yeah. Well, that, because that's actionable, you know, like right. it, it's it's like VORP, man. You know, am I ever going to quote value over a placement player to a client? Hey, dude, you know, your VORP is low. 
like, like that's gonna get me fired. That sounds like my job, right? Like, you know, what, what am I, what am I doing that's making the VORP low? Hey, man, dude, like, you know, and, and you hear it's not just you know related to analytics. I, I, there's a high-profile guy that I'm working with through a skills trainer who got admonished by a coach this year for missing layups. And it's like, oh yeah, dude, that NBA player was just like he, he set out to miss those layups, and like the coach was like, you gotta make these, you gotta make these, and it's like, yeah, doy, you gotta make shots in basketball. Like, yeah, sorry, I'm going off on a, on a tangent. So I, I use these these efficiency numbers more so as leads, right? If I see a number that's, you know, that's lower than the average, I kind of suspect, I don't have to always vet it, in a, you know, I'm on a time crunch in all these projects, right? If I see a PPP of like 0.4 and a decent amount of, per, uh, of, percent, uh, of possessions, I know that player's probably doing something right, right? Yeah, every once in a while, guys are just missing open shots, but more often than not, that guy's doing something right. If I see a number that's high, there's probably something exploitable that I can find out that I can pass along to a client, which then can be one of those little golden nuggets of information that, you know, Hey man, if you score two more points every single game on one more possession, you're going to get paid a lot more money in the off season. So right. that's kind of how I view the defensive analytics. And, you know, as far as their, their value assessment for determining the value of players, um, I would be very wary of anybody, you know, either citing analytics or pushing analytics. And like I said, I mean, I've seen like that guy, Taylor Snard, those defensive analytics pass the smell test for me. I, I look at them and I'm like, yeah, those, those look pretty good. Um, okay. they, they're better than the, than the competition. Right. Okay. But for most, I, I view it as snake oil. You know, if you, if you're telling me that you, that you're crunching box score numbers and you solve defensive analytics, sell, I, I congratulations. <laughs> uh, we'll talk in two or three years when you're a billionaire, you know, cause right. As of right now, I just I don't believe it. All right. One more thing. Uh, I'm going to let Kings chime in here. So we got that part. A big thing that happened was the the, the Clippers. Did you watch any of the Clippers-Bucks game? Any of you two? I know you did, Kings. You got to watch the Clippers, you watch oh, the Clippers-Bucks I, game? Oh, I, I was with my girlfriend. I was waiting for Kings yeah. to say, yeah, you watched it. And I was going to say no yeah, so, very quietly yeah. in the background. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I watched it. I watched that. So the thing about the Clippers, um, I know a bunch of Clippers. I'm cool with a bunch of Clippers media guys who cover the Clippers. Um, every time they lose a big game or a high-profile game, there's an issue about them uh, needing a point guard. For me, I I don't see it necessarily it's a point guard. It's more so they need somebody who can put pressure on the rim from any position. They just don't attack the rim. They don't get easy shots. Everything's tough. Mm-hmm. It's amazing because they have the second-best record in basketball. Third-best record is the Lakers won tonight. Third-best record in basketball uh, playing offense, how they do, which is amazing. But in a playoff series, I'm kind of worried that because – they don't get any easy baskets. I think it's 29th in the NBA at, uh, at at points in the paint and then bottom of the league in free throws as well. So what does that speak for that team from an analytics standpoint? Like, how does that – how do the Clippers shape as far as the contender goes offensively? I mean, they're shooting they're shooting the hell, hell out the ball right now. Can I let you go? What, what did you think about the Clippers? Is it a point guard issue or it needs somebody to get to the rim? What is it? Um. Man, I, at first I thought it was a point guard problem, but the more I look at their offensive output, I'm like, man, it doesn't matter. They're scoring enough. Uh-huh. It's really the fact that, like you said, they just don't get to the rim. Uh, that's really the problem. Uh, and if we go back to last year, that's really the problem as well. Right. Um, when they need an easy bucket, they can't generate it because a lot of their looks are off jumpers. And we know we like to think that it's because they don't have a point guard that could get them a good look. 
but they get a lot of good looks off Ty Lucis, and they got some good looks off the pick and roll and uh, and the looks that Doc had last year. But a lot of the times they're just settling for jumpers. Um, you know, PG settling for jumpers. He's not as physical inside as he used to be before his injury. Uh, Kawhi maybe because of his injury is starting to get less physical and is starting to be more uh, mid range oriented. He looks less. Outside, he looks less. He looks less athletic than than what I'm yeah, accustomed to seeing. Yeah. And outside of him, you have uh, Morris. He's a jump shooter. You know, he's not someone who's going to drive to the rim. Uh, Lou is too small. He's going to shoot jumpers. Uh, their their most consistent inside presence well, last year was Trez, but, I mean, he, because of the Doc's defensive scheme, wasn't that playable, so he couldn't be on the floor that often. And this year, Zubak, and kind of the similar things. I mean, Zubak is, is, can guard bigger centers, but he's not play more. He's not very playable against the um, athletic and up and down team, so he has to get limited minutes. So yeah, they put John, they put Giannis at the five, and uh, Zubak was done today. <laughs> Zubak, yeah, Zubak was done. So and then Ibaka is just is is a jump shooting big now. Uh, right. So yeah, it's just they don't have anyone who can pressure the rim. That's I think is their most important need. They would benefit for trading for Eric Bledsoe probably, which is as funny as that sounds. You know, <laughs> as as you know. As detrimental Bledsoe can be, he's probably somebody who would help the Clippers out because they just need somebody with athleticism and speed who's just going to attack the rim at all times because yeah. they don't have that at all. Hey, but before I get to you, Joseph, just real quick, that's honestly why I, I've, I'm kind of leaning towards putting leapfrogging Utah over the Clippers as a contender for me because mm-hmm. even though Utah takes a gang of jump shots, gang of threes, you have a Mitchell who can get to the cup against anybody in space. Even Conley can still, at his age, get by somebody. Clarkson as well. And, then of course, you got Gobert. Um, for all his offensive um, deficiencies, he is an excellent vertical road threat, his catching and finishing. So they have guys to put pressure on the rim in addition to be able to shoot 43s a game at, you know, 38, 40% clip. So uh, I'm like I'm, – the Clippers did beat them, but over a series, looking at the different shot profiles, I'm kind of leaning towards taking the Jazz as a more serious contender. Um, just Joe, where are you? I don't know how much you've been watching. You know, with no, Mark, Mark and all. Where, where are you with, as far as what the Clippers do? So I, I, I've unfortunately not been able to watch as much leisure basketball um, these past couple of years as I'm, as I'm used to. I know it's all, to. it's all work, man. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't give me, I don't want to, it's not like I'm complaining, but right. like, man, dude, I know a lot about the Belgian league. Let's just say that, man. I know, I know that Belgian league up and down. Um, and I, I love what I do. But, and by the way, I love the pod. I can't. I can't listen every single week. I, I'm behind perpetually. But the thing that I love you guys do is you normalize this idea of pressuring the rim. It's such an important concept, right? Because you don't need to be a finisher at the rim. You know, like a superstar finisher at the rim to be able to pressure it. I think of a guy like Tyus Jones, who I played against up here in Minnesota. I mean, Tyus Jones. Um, maybe it's just because I was bad and slow. But uh, that rim was being pressured a lot. And um, I felt a lot of that pressure as the guy who was supposed to be protecting that rim. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where, um, yeah, to me this was kind of a surprise last year when they got Kawhi, they got Paul George, and we were all kind of expecting the certain type of offensive and defense, the two-way player, right? And you got it, but it wasn't the ones that you saw the previous year with the attacking of the rim. Both of them kind of just looked – a little bit beaten up in a way, right? Yeah, yeah. looks a little bit more, and that's not saying they're not effective because they are, right? But they're not as 
killer as they were two years ago, and they're especially not really getting that downward pressure, which, you know, gets those great driving and kick opportunities. And, you know, they've got so much shooting that on a game-by-game basis you really miss it. But, no, I mean, I, I agree 100% with the assessment in the sense where um, I love Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly, when they signed him, I was like, that is, like, all-time great signing. I was advocating for the Lakers, actually, to, to sign Beverly because I, I view Beverly as, as the perfect superstar compliment, right? you got a LeBron James pressuring the rim. You can afford to bring in a point guard who's all about, you know, trying to get up in someone's grill, hitting shots, that sort of thing. And then, of course, Beverly also is kind of taking it. He's like Darrell Revis, right? You know, you think you're in the shutdown corner, and Allison's kind of like, ooh, I don't know if that's right. working on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, and so, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't want my, my contribution to be, hey, man, things get old, uh, players get old. Um, but I, I do think that that is potentially um, a position of need. And, you know, when you look around the NBA, um, I mean, they might want to start looking at the G League to take a potentially a shot at one of those dudes down there who's been, uh, you know, who's been playing down there all the time. And, you know, there are guys who, you know, light up the G League year in, year out, who for one reason or another, you know, cannot get that chance. I think of someone like Joe Cheely, who, you know, has been down in the G League on and off for, for he, he, I believe he's over the Magic for a little bit, you know, for two years. But you know, he's a guy who is is – a fantastic pick and roll dude, you know, um, who's not played in the NBA, um, but would potentially be able to sign. I mean, dude, you know, if you're, if you're needing penetration and rim pressuring that badly, um, just start bringing in some dudes, man, because, you know, Reggie Jackson looks a lot better than he has, you know, in previous years, you know, in LA, but, um, I wouldn't feel great about about that, you know, uh, going <laughs> the, to the, post- the playoffs. <laughs> and, and hey, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but, you know, Rajon Rondo's probably available, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you need a, he's need a certain type of team with Rajon Rondo, and you kind of got it. Yeah, I just wanted to, to just kind of get you like an analytical view of what the Clippers were doing because I just I don't think they get enough easy baskets, and I think that's kind of going to be a death nail for them depending on who they get. Oh, and by the way, I, I agree with 100% of your assessment with the Jazz where, you know, before I did this most recent scout, I was kind of viewing them in, in the previous, you know, like month and a half ago way and watching the way that they defend. It's scary. I mean, you know, they, they, the, the problem that they're going to have is that, you know, Ingles and, and Bogdanovich are, are fantastic players. They're smart. They're fit. You know, you know, they're physical and they have to be. Their positioning's incredible. Um, they want to defend, right? That's, that's such that's such an important part of basketball, and it's you know like it's it's almost come a meme, right? Like you got you to want it, but it's true, right? You have to want to have defensive. Um, you have to take pride in your defense if you if you want to win games, at least enough right. uh, enough to win a championship. But you know they. It, it's it's such a bummer that that is at the most important position where you have so many guys in the NBA these days. The Giannis, the LeBrons, the KDs, um, the the Kawhis, the Paul Georges, right? Who if they've got an ISO matchup, they're going to take it every single time. But yeah, man, I mean, it's uh, th- this Jazz team. I mean, you know, I, I think everyone kind of just assumes whenever like a mean team comes out of nowhere that they're just like a flash in the pan. That nerds are just you know trying to wring their hands about something and feel smarter than everyone else. This Jazz team is scary. Yeah, uh, um, they, they can they can defend and they can shoot. And I mean, yeah, those those weak the, the potential for weakness there is strong. But I would feel better about the Jazz going forward than I do the Clippers. Yeah, same here. Moving on, uh, it's been a funny week because we do, we do this MVP thing periodically, and uh, all the candidates have had a rough couple weeks here. <laughs> uh, LeBron went to went through his lull, not a lull. Well, yeah, it was a lull without without a uh, without AD and Dennis to kind of take the load off. He was just doing a lot on one end, so you know he he, he fell off a little bit. Uh, and B, the Sixers can't beat any good teams really. 
They took a couple. Actually, took a loss to the Cavs, which is pretty bad. Uh, Jokic, Denver can't really get it together. Uh, I think the Warriors finally won three in a row. Then they got clobbered tonight for Steph. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a lot. It's a lot. So uh, Kawhi Kings, losing to the Bucks. Exactly. Kawhi lost to the Bucks. He, he wasn't great down. He's actually pretty bad down the stretch with with the shots. Like he took a, like a thirty footer with eight seconds left and said, yeah, that was crazy. Is this, is this ramping up to Julius Randle, MVP frontrunner? Like, like, I mean, you know, like it, it, yeah, it's getting to that point. Where, I like, mean, yeah, I so mean, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like no, to me, to, like, to me, I, I look on the positive side of it. To me, it speaks to how talented the league is, right, at this point in time. Right. It's just so many guys who can kind of take a claim. And it's funny, uh, actually the guy who looks the best lately is probably Giannis, but we know I don't think he's going to get it three times in a row just because of voter fatigue. That's usually how it goes. Mm-hmm. He's been insane. I think over the mm-hmm. last four games, he's averaging 37 and 15 over the last four games. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> hard, hard to grab 15 right. uncontested rebounds in a game. <laughs> right, right. You know, I'll say that. <laughs> right. yeah. uh, King, Kings, where are you after this MVP thing right now, man? Well, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the best player in the in the that's been the best player in the league right now recently was a. Uh, was Giannis, but uh, you know, even before this uh, newfound win streak, they were struggling before that. Right, too. exactly what I'm saying. Dropping games with Drew when Drew Holiday was gone, uh, you know, it, it got to the point where the MVP race was so wide open, wide open. A guy that everybody hated, you know, to start the year, is all of a sudden the MVP candidate now, and James Harden. <laughs> you know, James Harden's hooping. Don't get me wrong, he's been balling, but uh, it's kind of weird, you know, a guy who quit on his team and forced his way out. Uh, right. Now people. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. So Kings, here's my thing, right? So I'm, I'm not like I said, like, like I, you know, I love, I love Steph Curry. I wasn't a part of the 35 ventures. I've been a part of, you know, uh, the Curry versus LeBron thing, right? I was just looking outside yeah. as, as a Laker fan, that whole thing. But when KD goes to, to Golden State, the whole thing, as soon as he goes there, it's like, oh, they can't win MVP anymore. And now that Harden, they got two of those guys over there with them and KD and, and Kyrie. It's like Harden for MVP, and I'm like, wait, just two years ago you said <laughs> you, once your team is too good, you can't you, you you can't you can't win MVP anymore. So I, I don't know where Harden came from. The rules seem like they change every year. It was weird. Yeah, it was weird. I think, uh, and that's the funny thing that MVP that Russ MVP year shifted every single narrative yep. about yep. MVP. Yep. Because before then, like. The general consensus is best player on the best team wins it. Uh, Rose did it. Uh, Bron did it with the Heat, even though he was a, uh, you know, even though he wasn't a super team, they still gave it to him because best player, best team. But that year that KD went to the Warriors, they they definitely, media definitely kind of punished him for it. Mm-hmm. And with Russ having the doing what no one has did in like 30 years, yeah. plus the fact that he was super clutch, that's really the start of the narrative MVP. Yeah. The Russ MVP was definitely a narrative MVP. Uh, since then, they, I don't think they've had they've given out any narrative MVPs. I mean, Harden deserved it when he won it. Uh, the Rockets were number one seed. You know, Giannis has deserved it these two straight years. I mean, he's been dominant. Uh, but this year is going to be interesting because this year is kind of like that 2015 year where Curry won it. A lot of guys um, in it. A lot of guys in it. Yeah, a lot of guys mm-hmm. in it. Grant Curry was the on the runaway team, that was the the best team in the league. So that made it kind of easier to 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 say Curry deserved it. But it's going to be a lot tougher this year because there's no runaway team. Exactly. The standings are all stacked. 
then yeah, and then like, there is one that's kind of emerging, but it's just right, like you know, are they, they going to give it to Donovan Mitchell? You exactly. know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100. percent Right. And that, that wasn't that's not I'm not I'm not piling on and saying that. I well, mean, look, Joseph, I don't Joseph, know. Joseph, Joseph, <laughs> Joseph, to your to that point, you got people in the analytics community like I, I, this is one of the things they I say. Go Barry you know, They're telling me, well, you know, Mitchell's been the third best player on the Jazz. I'm watching. I was like, you can't believe that. You go if you ask any opposing coach. Who was on that scout report when they played the Utah Jazz? The first name on the board is Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell. So I don't yeah. care yeah. what you're talking about, your analytics or your your <laughs> your whatever's showing you, plus minus and everything showing you. It has to do with what Kings alluded earlier. Who are they scheming for and how is that affecting the output on the floor? Right? You got Maples, to tie that together. They saying that Gobert is the MVP candidate for You yeah, see what I'm saying? It's like, and that, that just, that doesn't track to me. And it's, it's such a bummer too. Cause I mean, like Gobert, um, and like, you know, it's that weird thing. And like, I, I can hear the argument that like, you know, like Mitchell might not be having, but like, it's so hard to compare Mitchell Conley and Gobert cause they all do three such just insanely different roles for Very a team. True. Yes, absolutely yes, yeah. rolling right now, right. you know? And so like, it's, it's, I guess whatever, you know, it's, it's that funny thing, right? You know, like there's always that flavor analytics of the year, right? Where it's like, yeah, this year we're doing steepy, you know, and it stands for <laughs> standards, you know, transition, independent penetration dependencies, you know, but like, it's, it's almost like, you know, what, what is the, the, the meta going to be that like everybody decides like the most important thing, you know? And I'm not trashing Roy Hibbert here, but like, you know, Roy Hibbert won, what was it, two defensive players of the years, and he deserved it, you know, to, to a level for verticality, right? You know, four <laughs> years previous, verticality wasn't going to do anything for anyone. It's blocks, man. If you're not getting blocks, right. you don't care how vertical you are. So, I, you know, I mean, it's, it, and, and Kings is hitting it on, on the head. I mean, I was listening to you guys, um, your all star episode, and I love how you guys started. And Kings is just like, I'm going to say it. Like, you know, how, how is this man? I'm not going to say his name. I don't, I don't want the torches <laughs> at my door again. Um, I, I love this, this person as a player. I think he's so much fun, but like, it is, it is crazy how the rules seem to swap up for him, you know? Like, they're, they're the ninth seed right now, and, and he's entering the MVP discussion. It's just like, man, we get it. Everyone thought this was going to be his year, but like, the doors of the church opened up and the groom wasn't there, you know, right. at a certain point, <laughs> we got to, we got to start looking around at other options, man. Got to do it. Cause that's what we do here. Kings. If you got to give it out right now. You giving it to the MVP. Yeah. Five, five, five. Ah. James is the MVP <laughs> of the NBA. And as funny as, and as low as it's kept, he's putting a defensive play of the year. He is actually, he is actually, that is wild to see. If they get if we, when Dennis at least plays and LeBron doesn't have to do every single thing every possession he's been a tear <laughs> on a tear defensively, so I, I actually agree with that. What I'm saying is just those four games in a row that's what in people's minds, so they're not going to say it. But overall, you can't deny like that is actually on the table for him. Um, I think they're going to give it to Gobert though, just based on Utah's yeah. success. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I expect that too. That that would be pretty crazy too. Like not only would a dude who is so one dimensional uh, offensively, and I, I think Gobert, like he, I, I whenever he gets flack, I feel bad because like I like him, and like you know he doesn't deserve all the praise, he doesn't deserve all the flack. He's right. a very good player. It would also be bananas if the dude who shut down the NBA for coronavirus came back <laughs> and the MVP fifteen months later if he touched all those microphones. Like right. I'm not holding it against him. I just want to point out that would be insanity. Right. 
I think he's the defensive player of the year. I think he's going to get defensive player of the year. So, yeah. Joe, yeah, and, you're, right. you know, and you're limited, you know, and you've been working. So, who, who oh, would man, you say? Oh, man, why are you going to try and get me in trouble? Who, who, who would you say is the MVP I'm, right I'm, now? I'm picking, I'm picking the safest option. I'm going Zach Levine of the Bulls, and I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I, that way, no one can attack me for anything. You know, read into that as much as you want to. Read into my our laughter after. Afterwards, Zach Levine is absolutely killing it right now, and I love to see it. They don't want us to win. So <laughs> I'm going to go with Kings. I'm, I'm probably going to have to piggyback what you said. I did, did, did the Lakers overtake the Clippers today with that win and loss? Yeah, they did. Yeah, so I, they I, 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 I'd probably go LeBron right now. Like I said, my list changes every week. It's such so fluent and wide open. So right now, like you got to give LeBron like a slight nod. It's like a, a hair of a <laughs> nod over the, over the uh, field. I think if the 76ers start playing better against uh, contending teams, I'd be willing to go with uh, Embiid because I think he's right. doing something historic. Yeah. But they just they haven't produced well against certain type of teams. So I think those signature games, I think um, you know LeBron has played a little better than Embiid has in the in the in the win and loss the wins have come too. So that's where mm-hmm. I am with it at this point. Last track before this is something kind of interesting. So Miami Heat started off. 11 and 17, uh, mm-hmm. just real rough, ravaged by COVID, ravaged by injuries. And, you know, for several reasons, people like to use that as a, we're using them as a basis to say, I see the bubble wasn't real. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I actually had one of the, before the season we did this, I don't know if you heard the preceding preview episode, uh, Joe, but Miami is one of the, one of the six teams I thought that could have a chance of winning the East still regardless mm-hmm. Uh, they're starting to get healthy. They won six in a row. They've crept all the way back up to the fifth spot after being as low as 13th. Um, Jimmy is playing out of his mind the last couple weeks. Um, still one of my favorite players. Uh, I think it would have been petrified. If Kawhi would have convinced him to come to the Clippers instead of Paul George, that would have oh, been scary. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Sorry, Paul. Yeah, no, I'm you, gonna give that. So <laughs> rim pressure with those shooters, man. Exactly. He he gets to the he gets to that rack, dude. Dude, um, there, there would be absolutely no taking a nap in the third quarter with right. Jimmy Butler on his team. Right. Like, <laughs> so, so Kings. Um, I know New, Brooklyn's looking unbelievable right now. Uh, you think Miami is maybe not a, a, a leaning contender, but you think they got they got a friend shot at getting back there or making some of this season? Man, I think we talked on the last pod. We was, I was like, you know, two coaches that you could trust to challenge Brooklyn would be Eric Spo and Nick Nurse. And right. we said this while their teams were struggling. Now, funny enough, we bring this up now. Now they're, both their teams are on a hot streak. Coaching matters in, in the NBA. Y'all just wanted to let y'all know that. Because y'all <laughs> right. like to appreciate Absolutely. good coaching. But, man, the Heat, I mean, you saw what they did against those three stars. With um with with a no with no Jimmy and they were they were dealing with a lot of COVID protocols when they bowed the first time and they bowed the Nets healthy and lost by four. Yeah. In the second game they lost by double digits, but they did a great thing. They held the Nets to under 100 points the second game. That's and it's just unbelievable game. to me. That that's unbelievable to hold that team under 100. And all three of the Nets stars played that game. Yeah, all three yeah. of them played that game. So look look they don't have the on paper, it doesn't look like they got the talent to win, but like I said, coaching matters in the in the NBA, and the Nets don't don't protect the rim, 
Bam looks so like Akeem Olajuwon against that team. <laughs> if you can, yeah, if you can pressure the rim, I mean, you saw Bam look look like you know, he looked like Alonzo Mourning on uh, right. DeAndre the first matchup that they played him. So if you can get that, and you can get Jimmy pressuring the rim for a seven game series, and you have co- uh, uh, Spose coaching, because that zone was giving the Nets problems. If you watch those those both games, Kyrie and Harden were turning that ball over. And it was giving them some issues trying to beat that zone. So they're not going to guard the Nets straight up. They're going to use scheme and make the Nets beat the scheme. So there's going to be a lot of coaching in that series. So, man, that's – if I had to pick a dark horse because I honestly don't believe in Milwaukee's coaching. If Milwaukee had better coaching, I would pick the Bucks. But I don't believe in the the coaching of Coach Bud. Uh, Philly is – the jury's yet to be seen on dark coaching and the fact that, you know, I don't know how Ben's what what Ben Simmons we're gonna get in that series. Man, I had put don't, don't get Joe started on Ben Simmons. Yeah, yeah, I don't know which I don't know which Ben Simmons we're gonna get in that series. So sorry, sorry, spreadsheets are being loaded up already. It's, it's happening. <laughs> but if I had to put all my money on a team right now to get the Nets, and I flip flop on this throughout the year because the Pacers let me down too. But if I had to pick a team, it would have to be the Heat because they have the guys who've been there. They got the veteran leadership. They got the ingredients to attack the Nets' weakness. And they got, most importantly, the coaching that's going to be able to maximize the talent. Because remember, we talked about this, Maples. If you don't have the star power, you need to maximize who you have, and that has to be coaching. And Spo is the best coach in the NBA. So if there's anyone who can make the Nets work, and we've already seen it this regular season, it's going to be the Miami Heat. That's one of them. Yeah, just say, you want to add to that, Joe? No, I mean, like, I, I, I was coming in, and, you know, like, I, the, the story to me with the Heat has always kind of been these past, I don't know, 12 months is that, like, they kind of felt like the right place, right time, right situation, you know, in the sense of, like, not only was their shooting not super great heading into the bubble and it was incredible in the bubble, you know, they, they're renowned for their culture, right, their conditioning, you know, the, the whole idea of, like, you can't play if you're not in shape. If there was mm-hmm. any team that was well-positioned to take advantage of a massive layoff and a restart, it was the Miami Heat. And, you know, when I say this, it doesn't take anything away from them. Um, I, I, I thought this team was I, – I, I had this thread that Heat fans loved bumping, you know, as they were winning playoff series, being like, you know, this, this, team, this team could be a team that doesn't make it out of the first round. And, frankly, you know, I got proven wrong. I stand by my analysis. You know, I'm not, I'm not throwing it all out. But, you know, I'm also acknowledging, you know, what happened. Um, but I, I felt this team was due for a bit of a regression coming in the year. Um, whenever you got a team like that that is kind of, you know, like – I'm going to bring another unanalytical term, you know, like that whole kind of team of destiny vibe, right? right? And it's not so much, you know, that like fate smiles upon those teams, they get bounces, right? Um, but it's more like there's one thing that I learned, you know, playing, uh, the, and I think I mentioned this on the previous podcast, I was very lucky. I played in Minnesota on one of the best Minnesota high school basketball teams ever, um, and I had very little to do with that. Um, <laughs> we had we had a lot of Division One prospects in my class. You know, we, we, we would fly out to these, these AAU terms, we'd win AAU terms, in Vegas and, and stuff like that and you know w- what I found though was um you know for all of our talents um the teams that always seemed to beat us were the dumb teams who really kind of were like you know they look up and it's a four-point game with eight minutes to go and those guys started looking at each other and I, and I say dumb endearingly I don't mean you know like, like they were that they were stupid I mean the sense that like they were like man dude 
we can win this, you know? And, like, and once once you start getting that vibe, that is the most infectious thing in basketball i found, is that, like, when you see a dude on your team who is not a good defender settling out for a possession, you know, uh, chopping his feet, recovering back, all of a sudden it becomes like a game of tag, yeah, right? Contagious, Where, contagious. you know, hey, man – Exactly. You know, if that dude's giving that much effort, if he's closing out, if he's if he's willing to put it online, like, dude, you know, and this is nothing I have to say about basketball today. Most people's like, you guys have to understand, like, this is a vulnerable thing, right? Like, basketball is such an important thing to a lot of players. It is it is not only their source of income, but like, you know, the love of the game, you know, the, the feeling of like this is such a central part of my identity is so pure to a lot of these guys. This is like, you know. You see it, right? Some guys don't want to take off the cool jacket. They would rather fail than give the effort, all the effort they have, and come up short, right? And when you have a dude who is not a good defender, who is, who's, you know, going out to Tyler Harrow, like like Duncan Robinson, who is, you know, showing his teammates, like, I'm putting it all in line. This is everything that I have. I'm, I'm willing to sell out, to string out this possession for one more pass. All of a sudden, you can start just barely – cranking out these narrow margins you know these 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 those eight four those eight those ten four runs start adding up and i I enjoyed watching that heat team because they were dumb enough yeah i'm putting quotations in the air dumb they they were dumb enough to believe they could have won that series of the lakers right and it was almost tragic that the last game wasn't close i thought we were robbed of, of a potentially great last stand right but i think that when you go through something like that the entire offseason everyone's talking about like they're gonna do it again they're gonna do it again like all the data is suggesting that like you should have enjoyed the run for what it was. And if it happens again, it happens again, not trying to be mean, you know, giving them their flowers, but also pumping a bit of the brakes. I mean, that was a team that was on pace to win 50 games, right? Most 50 win teams do not make the finals. Um, I, I, I thought this was due, but you know, like it's that thing where when you've been there and you start getting that, that minutia back rolling again. And like, you know, it, it doesn't feel like, you know, that there's been a, a, a big change in the past two weeks, but you know, I, I think this is going to be important for them. If I'm, if correct me if I'm wrong, they're now 500 for the first time. And yes. the season started basically. Yeah. Right? yeah just got back. Just got back. And, and that went over Brooklyn. I mean, like they might start feeling like, like it's back to normal because you know, the Tyler Harrow rock star shit that's gone, you know, like, like no, no one, no one. And Hey, Tyler Harrow is a much better basketball player than me. I've got nothing but respect for Tyler Harrow. The, it is asinine for any young player to be compared to Steph Curry, to be talked about in the goat discussion. Let the guy yeah. live. He was a rookie. He played admirably. Like, let's just leave it at that, man. You know, like, like once, once they're now able to kind of get back to what they do. And, and Kings brings up a great point, right? They're going to have a distinct coaching advantage um, in any series because, you know, like as you guys mentioned in a previous episode, you have your docs, you have your bootenholzers who when, when the going gets tough, they double down. It's like, no, 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 we're going to do what we do harder. Exactly. You know, yes. and, mm-hmm. and oftentimes you're just playing into the opposing team's hand. Spolster is the type of guy who's like, I don't give a shit. I'll play five centers. Fuck you. You know, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, say, say won't. let's see what happens here. You know? And like, I, I, I always, like, I, I've got, I've got such a soft spot for guys who are willing to embrace radical strategies because, like, oftentimes when, you, when you're undermanned, you have to play David if you want to beat Goliath, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm not going to pick him, but, like, I'm excited. I, I, want, I would love nothing more for this team to start capturing a little bit more of what they had there. And, you know, I, I hate to end it on this note, though, but it's just, like, I think that they're going to realize that, like, they were already working on pretty thin talent margins to begin with. They're getting the most out yeah. of a lot of guys. And – I think that they kind of thought that, it, you know, like that the culture was bigger than everyone. Like, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but like, dude, they, I think they miss Jay Crowder, you know? They do. Yeah. And that's, to be, that's, 
to, to be fair, did they miss the version of Jay Crowder that was playing like a Clay Thompson yes. doppelganger? Which was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which was, yeah. which was elite, de- elite defense and 45, 45% three-point shooting. So. Right. right. They, they missed their Jay Crowder. Right. And it's kind of that weird thing. Like, you know, when, when a guy's going on a run like that, and he and this is not – no disrespect to Jay Crowder. He's earning that money, and he's going to be playing for – like, it's not like, oh, no, Jay Crowder, time's running out. He's going to be around for much longer. Right, right, right. right. But, like, you can kind of forget that, like, you know, when you – got a dude who plugged a hole at the trade deadline and it just was seamless and then you're like ah we were fine without him you know we'll, we'll replace him eh there was a reason you traded for him right you know like maybe <laughs> I, I i hope they have a move in mind like that so they can plug because iguodal is the second oldest guy in the nba this year like counting on him you know in a playoff series for anything more than you know like that that steve kerr vibe of like you know the leadership the fortitude the the iq that comes along with it i would i would feel very um not great if he was playing more than 15 minutes a game in the playoffs. Yeah, they just uh, – I think right now the, the, their best hope is to, for Bam to take that next superstar step. Oh, man. I, I mean – and I agree, but, like, he's already taken, like, two. Right, right, right. right. Know, I'm just talking about they, they need, like, yeah. need him, like, be, like, a, a dude. Like, we need a bucket or a foul. We're coming to you the next five minutes. Like, that, one of those types, you know? I, it, I, I don't know. How did they go the entire summer talking themselves into the second-year player was going to be that guy? Like, yeah, that was they, they, bizarre. Yeah, you know? I, just, uh, I, I read some mind-boggling reports about uh, <laughs> what was holding back a James Harden trade. I pray that they are not true for the sake of uh, Pat Riley's reputation. Cause, uh, and also, just like Tyler – Harrow's psyche, you know, like, like that's yeah. just like, dude, this is a kind of the weird thing about the basketball discourse that, like, you can say a guy's pretty good. That's not an insult. Like, like most guys who play in the NBA are not pretty good. You make a lot of money. You, you get, you down in a lot of hearts and minds of fans when you're pretty good. There's nothing wrong with being a good draft pick who plays his role and has a few really fun moments in the finals, right? right, right. right? Expecting that he's just going to continue to blossom. It's just like, oh, this is buckle up. Like that, that always feels scary to me when it seems like we know who our guy is. It's the dude who shot 34% from three. Yeah, right. De- development and development isn't linear like that anyway. Like there's going to be some bumps exactly. in the road. So that's why I think the, the issue is with him. But we'll, we'll see what happens. To your point, Maples, on the band point, I will say this. For the, for a net series, you talked about needing a guy, a band, we need a foul or a bucket. That first game against the Nets that they lost by four. Oh that's man! What like. well, he had <laughs> we forty, right? What he had forty? Yeah, forty two. We need a bu- and it was. I'm talking about it was ISO buckets. I mean, it wasn't some di- dump down drive from Dragic to give. No, nah, it was. We give you the ball, bam, face up, mid range, face up, go to the uh, track the foul on DJ, attack the paint. I mean. It was it was that it was what you were saying just now. We need a bucket. Go get it. He yeah, was I doing think, it on the net. So yeah, Dude, I, the, the more you can keep the more you can keep DeAndre Jordan on the floor for the Nets. I think that that raises your chances. And I, I I think I think the floodgates are about to open up on on bigs too. I mean, you know, even back right. like when I was playing, it was like I I remember I had to fight for my right to shoot threes, right? And like I was a good shooter. I've Come on, I'm six seven and I'm white and I got slow feet. What do you think I do? You know, um, <laughs> but, but like you know, it's it's kind of that weird thing. Like I used to see people just fawn over Nikola Jokic, and, and and don't get me wrong, he's incredible. But like people be like, no one else, no other big can pass like this. It is unreal. And I'm, I remember being like. I've seen a lot of bigs pass like this. You haven't seen it because they don't do it in games, you know. Right. It almost feels like someone was like they tossed the keys to Bam and was like, hey, man, spend the summer seeing if you can learn how to ISO. And now he's come back, and it is scary. Yeah, that is exactly. a 6'10", smart, quick, strong dude who can handle the rock. He loves to pass. He's smart as heck. Like, that is – 
I I would not like that if I was the center that had to guard that for seven games. That is right. that is scary. That they, that is that is a wrinkle they can just go to at any point and have been going to. So I oh, mean, this was good, man. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate both of y'all, man. Joseph, you turned it up yeah. tonight, man. We appreciate you. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I wouldn't shout too much about baseball statistics. Nah, I, I, you, you good, you're, man. You good, man. They, they need to hear this. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, your ads next week are going to be for, like, Big League Chew and, uh, you know, and, and Louisville Slugger. And it's going to be all because I screwed up your algorithm. But, I mean, thanks for having me. This was so much fun. I, I, I love chopping up with you guys. And I'm, I'm happy yeah. I could come back and, and talk hoops with you guys again. And y'all, stop making fun of me when I, how I read the ads. It was my first time, okay? Y'all can't get over it. <laughs> <laughs> <Let me go. laughs> hey, hey man, they're just mad they don't have ads to read. That's right. all I'm going to say. So do me a favor. Follow Joseph Gill on Twitter at Joseph Gill M A. Follow King. It's Kings, bro. Follow myself JJ Naples fifty five underscore MST. We appreciate you guys for tapping in. Be sure to come yep. up with us next week. We'll be back talking about what's going on in the league. Stay safe out there. We are out of here. See y'all next week. <laughs> Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.